Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman. Welcome to our lesson this morning sponsored through Christ-Lives.org. Visit us on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash www.christchrist-lives.org. Our lesson this morning is the first in a three-part series on the book of James. This book is one of the epistles that's found in the New Testament. I love reading the epistles. They're some of the, some of the books of the Bible that we tend to skim over, usually because they're so short. But there's a lot of good information and instruction in these, in these letters. I love the epistles because they're written directly by men to specific churches with a goal to exhort, chastise, or both. The very word epistle comes, comes from the Greek word epistele. It means a letter directed or sent to a person or group of people, and that's usually in the form of an elegant or formal letter with a go to provide instruction. One of the things that excites me about this letter, it was written by James, who's the brother of Jesus. It was probably written around roughly A.D. 40 to A.D. 45. It was sent to Jewish Christians that were living outside Palestine. So just to make sure we have an accurate record of James being the brother of Jesus, Matthew 13.55 says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So this letter was not only written by a man that knew Jesus, it was also written by a man that grew up with Jesus and knew him quite well. So the purpose of James, or the main thread that seems to run throughout the entire book, is the underlying fact that Christians must learn to live by faith. We must be doers, not just hearers of God's word. James' readers were suffering with persecution and they were living in poverty. They were in social and spiritual conflict. Many of the believers were living in a worldly manner. In the book of James, he corrects them and challenges them to seek God's wisdom to work out these problems. So, let's, let's start walking through the key themes within this, this first lesson. God is a gracious giver, the unchanging creator. He's merciful and compassionate. He's also a judge, the one and only God, a jealous God, a gracious God, and a healing God. There are some who think of God only in their time of great need, a sickness, a death, a new house, a new car. It could go like this. Man, God, I just want that new pickup truck. Can you help me get it? God, please heal me. I hurt my back. Lord, can you make my house payment go down? Where was your conversation with God the other nine months of the year? When was the last time you called upon God just to talk? If you have older kids that are out of the house, don't you enjoy those sometimes rare moments when they just call? They aren't calling for money. They aren't calling to complain. They're just calling to see how you're doing and to talk to you. So doesn't that feel good? Hey, my son just called just to talk to me, and he still cares about his dear old dad. Hey, my son called me today. He said he misses his mama's cooking. 
Hey, my daughter called today and used the baby as an excuse to talk to me for an hour. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you think it makes God feel good when we pray to him just because we want to spend private, quality time with our Father? Lean into this now. I want you to understand this. God wants us to spend time with him just cause. Okay? Just cause. The second point. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James 1, verse 5. When was the last time you asked God for guidance before making a major decision? God, I wanted that house. Why didn't you help me get it? Are you mad at me, God? Why weren't you there with me? That's not fair. That's part of the carnal man. We do that. Did you ever think that God knew that six months from now you were going to lose your job and the smaller house that you're living in is paid off? Perhaps God is using this as a teachable moment because you've left him out of the consideration in your giving or in your asking. See, you can't see the future, but God already knows the future. He knows what's going to happen before you ask the first prayer or before you don't. James seventeen eighteen. Every good and perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Man, isn't it wonderful to know that God has wonderful, great things in store just for you? Just for you! Isn't the overpowering love that God feels toward us as his children absolutely amazing? Amazing! You see, I know I'm a child born under the sin of Adam. Yet God allowed me to share in atonement through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's love. Now, James 2, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Wow. This verse really hits home for me. When I was a boy, we didn't have a lot of money. There weren't really a tremendous amount of availability of jobs in that part of East Tennessee. But when my daddy came home from Korea, he worked every job he could. There were times when he came home that his hands were cracked open and bleeding. Even at the age of five, I worried about him. He never complained. He kept telling me, son, it is an honor for a man to be able to get up in the morning and go to work for his family. So my first day in the first grade, I started to notice differences. You see, there were some kids that dressed a lot better than I did, and a couple that dressed worse. 
You see, at that time, we wore hand-me-downs. I'm sure a lot of you did, too. So that's right. I got my older cousin's hand-me-downs. Now, he was two years older than I was, so sometimes the hand-me-downs were a little baggy, at least for a year. So my younger cousin, who was his brother, got my hand-me-downs, if there was enough left to hand it down, and that was the way that we lived. So I came home that day after school. As usual, my daddy was working on that old lawnmower in the backyard. For a long time, he cut an acre and a half of grass with a little 19-inch push mower that was always broken, but kept running through my dad's mechanical genius, and my father was a genius. No, he didn't have a Ph.D., he didn't have a college degree, but that man could fix or do anything that he put his hand to. He could take it apart in his mind and put it back together better than what it was before. I remember stopping in front of him, and I was just you know, kind of standing there, hoping that, you know, to be noticed, which he did. You have to understand, my daddy didn't miss much. He looked up and frowned a little, knowing that something was wrong, with his left eye partially closed because my dad was partially blind in that left eye. He stood up and said, how was your first day of school? You know, I was six years old. I kind of fumbled for the words. You know, I was just a kid, and kids don't have the best filters. And so I said, Daddy, how come some of the kids dress a lot better than me? Now, I had never thought of this before. Never. I mean, we went to church. We had our, our Sunday shoes. We had our Sunday pants and shirt, and we didn't wear those during the week. That's just the way it was. I remember my dad stopped for a moment, and his one good eye got a little damp. He knelt down in front of me, you know, the way he did when he really wanted to drive a point home. He put his hands on my shoulders, and he said, Son, I know it hurts, but if you don't ever lie and you don't ever steal, then you've got more than most people's got. Even to this day, when I recall those words, if I could call them back, I would. It still bothers me to see that hurt flash across his face. You see, my daddy loved his family, and he loved me. He wanted to give me what was best for me and what he could. And my daddy finally made the supreme sacrifice, falling Others in that old plant that he worked at in Loudoun, Tennessee. He died of cancer from an unknown primary. But we all know it was from prolonged exposure to carbon disulfide gas. Maybe my daddy wasn't rich in the eyes of the world. But he was one of the wealthiest men spiritually that I have ever known. He didn't just talk it. He lived it. And he passed down a legacy to me, which I passed down to my children, and I'm now passing down to my granddaughter. You see, that's the way God is with us. We may not be rich in the eyes of the world, but our real wealth is with the Lord Jesus. So in James 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, Or do you think Scripture says, without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. 
That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. As I noted a moment ago, God opposed the proud but showed favor to the humble. Going back to my dad, he almost never bragged about anything. You see, things didn't mean much to daddy. He had something more than things. He had his God, he had his family, and he had his friends. That was enough for my dad. That was enough for him to drive that old 67 Chevrolet pickup truck that he had with holes that were in the floorboard. And he had to put things in different places to make sure that his, his tools and stuff didn't fall out through the holes in the floorboard and go bouncing down the street. I never heard him complain about that old truck. The only thing I've ever heard him bragging about was a little photo book that he carried in his back pocket next to his wallet. You see, when he was older and went down to the old service station down the road, he would pull out that photo album and say, let me show you my grandson. He was so proud of my oldest son, Jeremy. He never knew Brett, but he would have been proud of him too. See, Dad was like that. He just naturally loved people. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for each other through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible also says in James 5, um, verse 9, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Wisdom comes from above. It enables believers to withstand trials and to have peace, peace, rather than divisions among themselves. Verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Have you ever been around someone that just keeps putting people down? Sometimes with things they can't even help. Sometimes it's physical defects. Yes, it's cruel, but it certainly does happen, especially in school and also in the church. Don't think the church is exempt from any of these just because we're in the church. You see, the people outside the church, the devil already has those. It's the one inside the church that he wants to turn from the way of God. Even though they're saved, he can look back to God and say, See, see, these are your people worshiping in your church building, and I have managed to turn them away. So do you have someone or know someone that just keeps stirring the pot, as we used to say? Somebody in church that continuously just keeps the church torn up. Yes, it happens. You know it does. Some of you have experienced that, and maybe some of you are doing that. I don't know. But those people aren't happy until they go home, and everyone within listening distance of their mouth is angry at each other. Let's take it a step further. Oh, hello, Brother Letterman. That was a great sermon you preached on the radio last week. Yeah, keep up the good work for the Lord. Then when I'm out of earshot, that East Tennessee hillbilly couldn't preach the word of God to an anthill. He's an absolute idiot. Wow. 
or maybe it's a female member of the church. Oh, hello, Miss Dobbins. How are you today? That's a nice outfit you're wearing. Oh, you're welcome. Have a blessed day. And then when the young woman's out of earshot, Oh, my, Louise, did you see that dress Vanessa had on today? It was almost up to her thigh. In reality, it was down to her knees. Yeah, guess she looked like a perfect, well, you know what I mean. Not only is this woman a hypocrite, but she uses her tongue to turn others against this young woman, who, if she hears of it, may be so hurt that she'll never come back to church there again. We're our own worst enemies in church. We talk about each other, and we need to keep our mouths shut, especially about things that are hurtful. And even if you hear something you know it's true, you don't have to repeat it. That's called gossip. And gossip and hurt from the tongue destroys people in more churches around this country than anything else. You see, these people are hypocrites. They'll just tell you one thing to your face and something else to your back. It caused dissension in the church. James said, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Put a bridle on your tongue. When you hear people do these things, pray for them. See, God allows tests and trials, James 1, verses 2 through 4. But the temptation comes from self and Satan. The required response is patient endurance. See, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Wow. If you don't lean into any other part of this sermon other than this point, I really want you to hear this. I want you to embrace it. God does not cause evil to befall you. God, why did you tempt me to commit adultery? God, why did you let me steal that money? God, God, God. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Are you listening? God does not tempt you with evil. Satan may, and he will tempt you, and it's up to you if you fall into the snare the devil set for you. Let me say this again one more time. God does not tempt you with evil. Well, preacher, somebody tempted me. It had to be God. You need to rethink your heart. If you gave in to the snares that the devil set for you, then that is your fault and not God's. That's the carnal man within you. Oh, you may be saved, but just because you're saved, that certainly doesn't mean Satan will put a big X on you and say, cross preacher Mike out, he's saved now. Quite the contrary. Satan now wants to tempt you more, more, more. Here you go, God. Ha ha. Look at Preacher Mike. I put this before him and caught him. How great is the salvation of your son Jesus now? But Satan's forgotten one very important thing. I am saved. And like David, a man after God's own heart, 
I can repent and I can ask God to forgive me. And the Bible says that he will forgive us. And when I stand before him, repentant and covered in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, he can no longer see my sin. Sometimes I can almost hear God say, Satan, you've already been beaten. The promise I made to you in Genesis when you caused Adam and Eve to sin has been fulfilled. Let me remind you of this one. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Hang into this next two verses. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Notice the word crush here. The word crush, as it's used in this verse, is a foreshadowing of that which is to come. Because you see, Satan has already lost the battle. Actually, maybe more aptly put, he's already lost the war. All he can do now is try to tempt as many people as he can in order for them not to be saved. What a miserable entity he must be. Jealous, fell from heaven, fell from grace, took a third of the angels with him, and now he's in a place where all he can do is to tempt us to do things that are wrong. Satan has some power, but not as much as you might think. You have more power than he does if your life is in Christ Jesus. That's one of the reasons why some of the prophets say to memorize verses of the Bible, because that way when Satan comes to attack you, all you have to do is start quoting scripture. Did you notice that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, do you know what did you notice every time he replied to Satan? He didn't argue with him. He didn't get into a discussion. He just quoted the word of God every single time until Satan left him alone. Let's continue on. So sometimes these trials I'm talking about include poverty and mistreatment by the rich. The poor are the special focus of God's care in James, and then certainly throughout a lot of the Bible. They must be cared for by his people. The poor should not be taken advantage of or ignored. The wealthy are condemned for their pride and for stealing from the poor. You see, we think that because some of the politicians in our nation, get by with some of the things that they do or they seem to. They accumulate great wealth and they seem to not have any cares in the world. But I can tell you, they will have many cares in this world because the sins that we create in this world, the things that we do that are evil, that affect other people, we will either pay for them 
in this world or we will pay for them when we stand before Almighty God. And we have to answer for everything that we did. Well, God, I didn't know. I didn't know the man didn't have a lot of money. I just wanted the. I just, I just wanted that property that he had. You didn't know the man had two sick children, or a sick wife, and he took advantage of him because he needed money. Get behind me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Another thing that we fall guilty to that James points out in in, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Sometimes a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated against yourselves or among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Wow. There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? People who are just a little different than we are, maybe they don't have as much money. We do often treat them differently, don't we? Just as we often treat someone differently that has a different color skin or a different way of talking, we treat them differently. Why? Well, they're different than we are, preacher. Perhaps. But they still have the same grace through the Lord Jesus Christ that we do. They're not meant to be discriminated against. And that comes from all sides. I'm not talking about one particular ethnicity over another. I'm talking about all ethnicities. Our country has gotten to the point where we don't trust anyone who's not the same as us. And that doesn't matter what ethnicity you come from. We have lost the love of Jesus for our fellow men. We need to get it back. When a person says he has power both to destroy and to bring peace, not many of you should become teachers, James said, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And then in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who's able to save and destroy. You know who he's talking about there. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. And once again, James is pointing out the faults that he sees with the people in this particular church. So remember, rather than by merely hearing God's word, 
James is stressing that believers must obey it in their daily actions. You can't just live it while you're in church and then do something differently when you're outside with the world. Another thing he stresses is that prayer is the proper response to trials, but it should not be self-seeking. It's to be central in all of life's circumstances, whether it's good or bad. Remember, God is our Father. He'd like to hear from us on occasions when we just want to talk to Him. We don't need anything. We want to thank Him for the things that He has done for us and come before Him with, with praise. So James and Paul both agreed that justification comes only by God's grace through faith and that true faith always results in good works. If there are no works result, then there was no justification in the first place. Okay, let's prepare to close. I want you to remember that James is stressing the fact that Christians must live by faith. We should be doers, not just hearers of God's word. So I want to ask you something today. Are you living in social and spiritual conflict? Are you living in a worldly manner? I think some of you, the answer is yes. So like James, I'd like to challenge you to seek God's wisdom. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like, you to, I'd like to ask you to do it now. Perhaps you find yourself living in a worldly manner and you feel led to rededicate your life to God. See, he's listening. He's waiting. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God to intercede for us. I'd like to ask you to bow your head if you can. If you can't, just pray with me. Dear Lord, we seek your face today, O God. Your word says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Father, I feel your presence among those who are within the sound of my voice here in Middle Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, Alaska, California, Israel, Iran, Iraq, Germany, and the remaining 136 countries that are within our internet stream. We're all here, God, in all countries. We ask you to bless us. Please forgive us of our sins. Remove the burdens from our soul. Father, some of us would like to rededicate our lives to you. We acknowledge that we've sinned and fallen short of your glory, but through the blood of your Son, Jesus, we claim our victory above the enemy. Father, some of us have never accepted your Son. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We accept him as our personal Savior, and we'd like to ask him to come into our heart. Thank you, God. Through the blood of your son, Jesus, we claim our victory above the enemy. Lord, please strengthen us. We thank you for the gracious gift of the precious blood of your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you made a decision for Christ today, we would like to know. If you would like our prayers, 
we'd like to know. If you want a personal phone call, we would love to know. Please email us at ministry at christ-lives.org. That's M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y at C-H-R-I-S-T-L-I-V-E-S dot O-R-G. Your requests and acts of witness will be kept in complete confidence. It is our honor to pray and minister with you. Many thanks to WXRQ Radio for allowing us to be on the air today. May God continue to bless this radio station and the people it serves. That concludes our lesson for today. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.